We are overcoming. Some I was going to almost overcome this question Laura proposed for me for this episode. What I was very that? confused to this episode that we're doing today, but we got it together. Today we're discussing <laughs> I was overcoming. Always there. <laughs> we're discussing overcoming some obstacles for the field of physical therapy, some challenges, mm -hmm. some insights, what it means, and we're going to say this a lot. We do have full dedicated episodes to some of these topics, so we'll leave some of the links to those episodes down below if you want to hear us talk a little bit more about these topics. Our um, opinions on them. But let's go ahead and jump through these ideas Laura has planned for us. Let's overcome this transition. It's been a while. You're listening to the PT Assistance Podcast with your hosts, Ken. And Laura, thanks for joining for another exciting episode. So we're going to talk about, like we said in the intro, some growing hardships, issues, challenges. Difficulties. Difficulties that are just coming up to our field in physical therapy. So not particularly are these pertaining to physical therapists, physical therapist assistants. It's literally pertaining to our field. So we kind of came up with about seven to eight topics. I can't quite remember the number. I was about to say a few, but I was like, that's a lot. That's a little more than a few. We're just going to touch on each of them briefly because we have yeah. done some dedicated episodes to some of these topics, mm. but not all of them. So we're going to be touching on a little bit of everything today, as yeah. well as just a little PSA. We apologize for our technical difficulties to last week's Friday's episode. So thanks for being patient and joining us for today's episode. Like Ken was saying, we're just touching on the topics, but also we're going to relate this more to, again, why it's a difficulty or why we might see as a difficulty for our field coming up. So the first one we've kind of talked about here and there a little bit anyways, but it's adapting to telehealth. And I thought this was really interesting because I was like, yeah, we all kind of know my opinion on telehealth at this point. And I'm not a huge fan. I'm, I think, a little more old school, you you could say, on how treatment should go for PT. And I think that it should be in person. And this one brought up some really, like, interesting, like, again, I was reading a bunch of articles on this kind of stuff. And the, one of the articles I found had brought up some good points of, like, you know, people who can't get out of their homes or don't have access for a therapist to come there and how this could be an opportunity for it to grow. But so that's what we, that was going to be my devil's advocate side of things, where it's the accessibility mm -hmm. for telehealth can reach more people. Right. Yes. So it can be someone who doesn't have a car to transport themselves or maybe they're a little too far from the clinic in a rural area that they can't get to the clinic itself. So they have access to Internet. And they have access to a therapist. But like you said, this field isn't really online. Mm -hmm. And with it talking about adapting, one of the cool things I saw is they, they brought up three points of how you can adapt your clinic to being kind of telehealth friendly. I may say kind of telehealth friendly because I think it's more just electronically advancing to help with home exercises too. So I may say it's a little bit of both telehealth and everything. So like you can experiment, they brought up with experimenting with different one ways and options of doing it, you know, 
whether or not doing, you know, video conferencing with the patient, like the normal telehealth visit that we saw, and even showing um, videos. So like instead of you getting on a bed and demonstrating, you could split your screen and show a demonstration and talk them through how that exercise is supposed to go. So you already have like a pre-recorded like video, you pop it up on your screen, you show them. And as that's demonstrating on the screen, they get that visual. You can also talk them through it too, which I thought was actually really cool because I was like, oh, that's actually kind of like a neat tactic of having a video of like the exercise because it's not always easy to get into the position, show them the exercise, make sure that they can see the camera set up correctly. And you kind of giving those cues at the same time while trying to demonstrate it while being far away from the camera and trying to peek at them. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I think the the detrimental part, though, is like we are all different kinds of learners, right? mm -hmm. Some of us like to do more visual. Some like to do more repetition, whatever the case may be. And what telehealth does is it gets rid of those who benefit from tactile cueing. Yes. So like you so said, like you can, you can pull up a demonstration, you can show them, you can talk them through it. But there are patients who definitely benefit more from tactile. Like I'll do rows and be like, all right, I want you to engage your scap. Make sure you get into that retraction. And before the tactile to after the tactile cue is a huge difference. Yes. And I agree so, with you 100%. And that's why I've always been against telehealth. But the second one, because that kind of leads into the second option that they kind of get gave for the fields on how to, again, use telehealth, progress, but make it work in our field and adapting it. And it was a hybrid approach, which I thought was very interesting. So this one brought up more of just like a hybrid of like, oh, you would bring the patient in, do a normal evaluation, tactile, all that kind of stuff, really see what's going on. Then if you felt deemed appropriate, you can send them home and have them do like telehealth if you don't feel like they need to come in. So more of those patients who are exercise based and don't really need the manual work. However, I thought of one step full full further fuller fuller the further <laughs> and doing a hybrid where they're coming in one time a week and that's a progression week. And really you can tactile cue, you can touch, you can make them feel like how it should be done correctly and then they kind of get that tactile cueing that they need and then follow up with them one two or you know visit two and three the rest of the week on a video conference call so like you say they have kids that's something that they're having a real struggle coming into the clinic but they can do it from home and you know their kids can kind of be running around doing crazy or they can just stick them you know off to the side watch something you know it's easier to do things when you're at home with your kids than bringing them somewhere than hiking them somewhere and bringing them but that might be an option that might be better for someone who is more exercise based and kind of doing a hybrid between, you know, coming in the clinic, getting that progression, getting that tactile cueing once a week and then switching over to a like a exercise like program. A at, program. Yeah, yeah, home program. But like at the same time, you're still giving cueing and feedback, but they kind of get the idea a little bit more when you're like, oh, squeeze your shoulder. You're starting to raise your shoulders. They're like, oh, OK, because I've already tactile you know, worked with them on that. Most patients, I would say, like, if I tactilely correct them one time, definitely with their tactile, very rarely, like, on certain things, I may specify certain things, do I have to tactile cue them again? A lot of times I can verbally correct it for most patients. I'm not going to say everybody's the same. 
And that's where maybe home health is not an option at all or telehealth is not an option at all. And they need to come into the clinic. Now, no, I, I agree. I think it definitely should be more yeah. of a like you filter which ones are appropriate for mm-hmm. a telehealth based approach. So like you said, maybe do more of like a hybrid come in once a week. Let's get in, we're going to give you your whole new exercises and then the rest of the week your home based checking in, make sure everything looks good. The form looks good visually and go from there. But you would definitely have to decide which patients Are would fit that model. I don't think like, oh, we have a clinic that's 100% telehealth. That would make it difficult. Yeah. Because we have a friend that works for a telehealth company where all she does is do evaluations over telehealth, see what they need, look at the range of motion over the webcam and all that. And all their whole, all their whole treatment is just telehealth based. That mm-hmm. was back during COVID though. So I don't really know if it's still as Otherwise. popular as it is now, but I think a lot of companies are pairing with telehealth companies and providing that as a resource outside of their actual insurance. So I think that's where it's becoming a little more popular from what I can tell on at least this end. The other option I just want to bring up, and it's just kind of the last point, because again, I don't, you know, the goal is to kind of touch on them and why it's impacting our field. And how, you know, we could look at it and maybe make it even better. But the last one is also just like incorporating more apps. So for my work currently, for our HEP programs, we can upload the photos and videos. And we can say how many reps, sets, how many times a day, all of, you know, the good stuff that you to send home on an HEP. And we can print that out, but then they also get an email to an application and they can mark off their exercises or they can send us questions through that. So if they're doing it at home and they have questions, you know, we can respond to them later. Now, here's the one downfall with this personally. And this is where I think we're, we're going to run into, again, issues with this is I don't get to bill if I'm answering back those questions. If I'm responding back to those HEP questions on a day that they're not coming in, I don't get to bill for that. So you're just kind of, again, giving your services in free as a courtesy in a way by answering back those questions through that. So, but that's just, again, that it works for the patient's benefit, which is great. But that's a way that you can kind of incorporate a little bit more of like technology and HEP or, you know, exercise programs but not be full telehealth. So those are the three points that I kind of brought up of like, how can you help it grow and, you know, move forward with it? Because it is becoming, we are hearing about it more popular. I also do feel like it's a little more forced onto our setting, but we'll see. Again, I still have my reserves about telehealth. (laughs) Did you have anything else on it before? Going on to the second one is we talk about this and we've had multiple episodes dedicated to it. So migrating physical, just burnout. So all therapists burnout. So we've hit on this. This is a, impacting our field greatly. Unfortunately, I, I don't see it reducing right now. In fact, I've seen burnout growing still ever since COVID. And it is something that we in the fields we're we're struggling because we're low on therapists in the fields. I I know our company is 
in dire need of some locations that need therapists and value therapists. So, you know, it, it definitely makes it, it hard. If we don't have enough therapists to treat people and help people, then more people are just going to get burnt out because they're going to get overworked because we need to get those patients in. And then it's going to be this never ending cycle of burning out. And then new people come in, burn out. New people come in, we're not actually filling those gaps where we need to. So, you know, we do lead to potential of the field just getting smaller for the, from that. So not having enough I, workforce. I think it, it's just like a healthcare issue overall. Mm-hmm. It's definitely it prevalent is. in physical therapy. I mean, nursing, I'm sure doctors are the same. And I think what leads down this rabbit hole of burnout, new new hire, burnout, new hire is like in my head, this is how I'm picturing the cycle going is that inflation keeps happening, right? Cost of Mm -hmm. living is going up, whatever the case may be. Insurances aren't paying us more. And and, you know, the APTA and everything, like everyone we know from like the APTA and our representatives and all that, we know that they're working on it. They're fighting for a higher pay, but they hold all that power. And because they do, they're but- not raising our reimbursement rates, now how do we offset that? We have to see yeah. more patients. What exactly. happens if we see more patients? We get burnt out. We burn out. So but it's I would, like this, I would say this too- cycle that's not really in our favor, unfortunately, until something breaks that cogwheel. Yeah. And I feel like, unfortunately, we have companies too that are undercutting our value. Because they just want the full contract with an insurance company and they come in and say, hey, you know, instead of, you know, paying everybody $50 because that's just kind of the rate you guys pay for physical therapy, you give us all your exclusive insurance contracts. Yeah. If you give us your insurance contracts, then we'll only, you know, you only have to reimburse us 30. Well, then in order to do, you know, that then you you have a battle of undercutting our pay and our worth, which then again, we have to see more volume because now we have to get more of those patients in. But because they're getting paid less, they also want to pay us less, but still see more. And to talk more on everybody. top of that, we have Medicare paying PTAs less than PTs. Yep. And if all the insurances hopped on that train, all PTAs would get reimbursed just because we're PTAs less than a PT. Yeah. So there's a, a lot of things that on. are things that are not in our favor that we're definitely fighting for, but Mm -hmm. it's just hard because we're not trying to make it sound like this field is bad for PTAs, but there are those things that can cause burnout. And a lot of the times like you have to take care of yourself as well. And it's just more of a be aware type of deal. If you're in a setting, you feel like you're getting burnt out. Maybe that setting is not for you because there are so many different avenues you can take with physical therapy like we've interviewed several people now that work in so many different settings even the same setting but their format is different and you're able to mm-hmm. find something that works for you that won't lead to burnout there are people who thrive in those fast-paced high volume environments and they love it from patient to patient to patient they have met several PTAs I love that but it's not for everybody and finding the right setting for you can help you avoid burnout yeah And I think, like, again, the reason we're doing these is more to be aware of them and see how we can get ahead of the game so we're not caught off by surprise of these either. So kind of talking about cost, the next one we're going to go into is managing the cost of education. 
I think this is more of a struggle, honestly, for physical therapists because we're seeing that cost of education rise, but not so much to the salary. It's a little bit on PTA side too. Um, but one of the things I wanted to bring up that this article brought up was more of the issue of actually the cost of edu- continuing education. And that's where we can get hit sometimes too, is it can be very expensive to take those courses like we've talked about that we really want to take about. So my just advice for that one is look, when you're looking into companies and you're applying to companies, look to see if they offer either reimbursement on your continuing education. How much will they reimburse? Do they restrict which ones you can take? And then if they offer their own internal ones for a cost, look at if they're ones you like. You know, that's all something to take into consideration when you're applying for jobs. So. I agree. We'll we did it. We, that one. Yeah, because we, we do have an episode for kind of continuing yeah. education. And like you said, the cost is going up. Not necessarily our pay. I mean, our pay is going up from I remember bit, when you slowly. graduated to when I graduated. The rates were a little different. Like, yeah. like you said, slowly. Is- it It's definitely not keeping up, I don't think. No. But it's just going to be something to keep an eye on moving forward. They do su- suggest that if you're struggling with pay and you've been in the field for a while, Job hopping is one of the ways to get an increase in salary usually because usually raises do not keep up with the actual increase of pay in general, I guess you could say, inflation and pay. Oh, yeah. So, I yeah. mean, that so, one can definitely lead me down a rabbit hole because it yeah. grinds my gears, but we can save that for another time. Exactly. So just an FYI, that was a little hint. Next one we're going to go into is one of the issues that we see in this field is improving access to PT care for patients. So again, we have so many issues with insurances require authorizations. You do have some insurances that allow direct access, but a lot of patients don't know they have that. So again, knowledge of, you know, insurances, but then you look at things like Medicare and the plan of care is required, sign-offs, and then you also look at, you know, a bunch of other insurances where you get the initial evaluation, even with a referral, you get the initial evaluation, and then you have to put the patient on hold, and then you have to submit that initial evaluation, and then they'll come back with six visits, and then you do six visits, and then you have to put them on hold again, send in another progress note, and by that time, you're not really making the progress because the patient's not being consistently treating. And I'm always kind of curious to see how that works. Does that work, do you think, across annoying. the country? It is a bit, it's all based off of health insurance plans, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. like all that, again, all both of our experience the whole time has been in Vegas, so I don't, Yeah. I'm curious to see if that really works across the board the same way, but. It all, yeah, in most cases, yes. The only reason I do know this is just because I've had other family members outside of our state who's dealt with this or they told me stories of like, yeah, oh yeah. Well, how come? And they'll ask me because I work in the field. I'm like, because it's stupid insurance. That's my answer. Insurance has all the power. So because of that, we are, you know, having that struggle within our field of growing sometimes or getting the proper treatment to patients because of the fact that we're, we're tied by our hands sometimes of what we can do. Like, for example, this legit happened to me today. My very, I had two patients this evening 
one of my patients this evening, I went to check it, like open her note and I get a notification that said patient was approved for six visit. She's at nine. And I was like, what? And so I had to go to our lead admin there and say, hey, is there something I'm missing here? Like, is she approved for more? Like where I'm looking at all the patients notes saying six, like all the insurance saying six. We're at nine. Like, is there a reason she's keep getting scheduled? What's going on? And they had to turn her down, send her back home mm-hmm. because we didn't have wouldn't get paid. We're not going to get paid again. And then we look like the fools for scheduling her out too when we shouldn't have. They they should have caught that. First of all, I also don't know who treated her and then continued to treat her. When I we feel didn't like have that's such a hard situation. And that's definitely yeah. going to be dependent on your company, who you're working with, availability of therapists, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you do work for a larger corporation and, you know, countrywide and stuff, that's going to be one that you just turn away. Yeah. And I, I, I only say that because I have been in the situation where they are at nine of six, for example, and they're like, well, you're already here. We know you're hurting. We have a therapist available. We'll see we'll you today. But moving forward, yeah, we'll just eat the visit. Yeah. So that's definitely dependent on the company. I feel like those mom yeah. and pop shops are more likely to do that than like the bigger corporations. But you're I right. I agree on that. It is one of those things where it's hard because you know this patient could use it but there's authorizations in place that prevent us from seeing these patients although behold for two weeks three weeks and we have to be calling like hey do we have author for this patient can we see them again and it definitely just makes us jump through more yeah or get better on their own now guess what we're not gonna be seeing them anymore because they're better and they think they don't need us or yeah they think they're better and then really they're not oh the pain's not that bad i'm not gonna come in anymore you're like you're you're gonna it's gonna come back it's, going to come it's back. just more hoops that therapy has to jump mm-hmm. through that makes it difficult for us to maintain consistent patient care. Yeah. One, we've, again, this is kind of a new one, is just new technology, adapting it, adopting it, I mean, adapting it, adapting it too, but adopting it, you know, places being willing to use it more often. It even can go downfall where patients don't want to be seen by you because you don't have the newest and latest technologies too. So that can kind of be a hindrance to the field because we do live in a generation and an age where everybody wants the newest and greatest. And so sometimes they think, oh, you're just doing exercises. Yeah, that's not going to cut it. There's got to be something that's easier. So, you know, we are having to kind of fight that battle within the field of, you know, sometimes you 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 still got to put it in the hard work. And unfortunately, we don't have the magic button that just makes everything cures everybody yeah so you know again the new new technology is great but you know there's there's also that hindrance of new technology where there is new stuff coming out but until it gets almost proven to a fault it's not going to be the norm yeah and we talked about this as well i'm sorry we keep bringing that up but we have and our the thing about physical therapy episode where it is a slow growing field and mainly because they want to make sure they check everything for safety, effectiveness, and some clinics won't adopt it unless they pass all those tests. Mm-hmm. So sure, you have all these brand new techniques like BFR and things like that, but some clinics won't really employ it until there's more research on it. And some clinics are quick to adopt it. Like, hey, like 
there's a there's enough research that we do also believe that this could be beneficial, so they'll start using it. And there's other clinics, for example, mine, that won't use it until there's even more research on, that that's already out. Diet proof. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's definitely like, something to keep up with, but know that I don't think every clinic is going to have the newest tools on the block just because some clinics don't believe in all that until it's proven without a fault. Well, and that's one of the things, too, is that, you know, we're just having to battle that with patients because, like, for example, this article says 90% of patients want technology-driven healthcare. So that's not just PT, but they want that technology. They want, like we were saying, they want that new percent. 90% of patients. That's a huge number. And so when they come to us and they see something on TikTok, they see something on Instagram, they see something on YouTube that they think is new and great and they saw one person do it, it might not be right for them. And we really need to be educated on why we don't think that approach is appropriate, understanding where they're coming from. And, you know, that does make our job harder that, you know, we now have something else to kind of almost not talk them out of, educate them out of. I've had patients come up to me after I performed the Epley mm-hmm. or the Kenelith repositioning maneuver because we don't want to call it Epley anymore. And like their caregiver, family, friend, family, whatever the case may be, they're like, oh, that looks like fun. I feel like I'm a little dizzy sometimes. Can you do it on me? And then you have to educate them that, okay, hold on. Just because you're feeling a couple of these symptoms does not mean this is appropriate for you. That and I can actually dislodge them and you'll real feel dizzy. And I'll make, yeah, and then I'll actually make it worse. <laughs> yeah. But yes, you're right. Um, Education. Just a couple extra or a couple more. The next one is, and honestly, I think this has been an issue since day one of this build. Patient retention. So just spitting out a little bit of numbers here on a survey that was done in 2019. So it is a little older because it was pre-COVID, but I still think these actually apply very, very well. Thinking I almost just feel like those numbers would be worse nowadays. Nah, uh, I, I think you'll, once you see the numbers, I think you're going to agree with them. So 53%, approximately 53% of the patients have time commitments and scheduling difficulties. So that's the issue with getting them and retaining them in physical therapy. 40% of patients, I might just read out the numbers real quick and then we can discuss it. 40% of patients believe that PTs have unrealistic expectations for treatment. Uh, like, ooh, that's a good one. 70, approximately 73% of patients don't agree with the cost of treatment. So those are all the top barriers of why patients will come to maybe one or two visits and then not return or, you know, even schedule one and then completely bail on physical therapy altogether. Did you have any anything on that? It's hard to, I feel like it's just hard to think on where those numbers would be now. Yeah. But I still feel like, if anything, do, they're about the same, if not slightly higher. I feel like it's just, it's, does it say how many people were interviewed? Just out of curiosity. I just mm-hmm. had the percentages. Mm-mm. So read the first one again. Yeah. So about approximately 53% of patients have time and commitments, time commitments and scheduling difficulties. I mean, I feel like that's 
definitely a huge hurdle when it comes to our field. Yeah. And I, I'm going to be speaking more from like a attorney lean motor vehicle, heavy based clinic where these patients get into these car accidents, they come see us, but there's definitely some time constraints and commitments are very difficult. So they still have to take their kids to school because they got into an accident. They still have to address with their attorney. Maybe they get referred mm-hmm. to pain management. They still have a primary. They have to get imaging done. And it's definitely difficult to balance all of this out, especially for if you go from one minute, you're completely fine to the next minute. Now you're in a car accident and hurting. On a insurance standpoint, I feel like just having more hours open would be the, almost like the only other way to really address that. But I agree. I feel like time constraints, families, and other just commitments make it difficult for patients to come to therapy. Yeah. But again, I, if you're really think, hurting, you'll you'll find a way. That's where our education and our value of educating the patient becomes very important. And it and it can make a difference because if you can show them and teach them about the value of why it's important and it just takes time, then you're going to have likely buy-in. And I think the same thing. One of the things I've noticed in my clinic now and even my old PTs, because again, I've been lucky to work with some great PTs. I might make fun of them at sometimes, but and not agree with everything. But honestly, overall, I've been very, very blessed. But one of the things I always have heard them say is, what is your goal to get out of physical therapy? And at that point, you're getting the buy-in from the patient because these are expectations and things that are met for the patient. So if you feel like you can set actual goals for them if they're saying hey I want to walk to my mailbox and back you know that's a goal you set those are those expectations and then you know you reassess and then they met that goal you work again to meet a new goal so it's more of a partnership than hey I may set this expectation oh you're having trouble making it to the mailbox well by four weeks I want you walking all the way through the grocery store for 30 minutes and going home like being able to do all that. That patient's going to, that's such a large jump from what they can currently do to, you know, what your expectations are for them that they might not be able to, you know, that's not going to help them buy into the physical therapy because they just think they're going to, you know, be pounded on and beaten up to get to that goal. So having them buy in is going to really help retain the patient's to see the benefits and then they're going to keep coming back when they see the benefits. So. And I feel like that realist, like that realism goes both ways as well. Just yeah. like patients who are like, Oh, I want to, they just had rotator cuff surgery. Oh, I want to go back to playing my sport in four weeks. Yeah. Okay. Not happen. Hold on. You want to so retire? Think, sure. By all means. <laughs> I think just the biggest thing is setting those realistic ex- expectations that you want for them. And like you said, have them commit with, setting their own goals almost this is what i want to do and then educating them on the steps that it would take to get there and a reasonable time frame and i feel like most of that would be handled by the pt and we just kind of reinforce that exactly and then the last one is the cost and that's the struggles there's not much we can do besides educating but again this is what our field is battling not so much us, but our field is battling this and we need to prove to the public that we are worth. You know, people will go spend, you know, a hundred, three hundred dollars on massages 
for 30 minutes, but yet they can't find value in, you know, coming to PT and decreasing their pain and getting better in the long run. So it's really important to educate patients why, you know, yes, you're spending some money up front, but in the long run, you're going to benefit from it. And then it's also important that we help and you can do this by, you know, reaching out to your APTA, working with them about, you know, sharing why it's important that we do get paid more from insurances and really working on getting that battle, whether you join that fight straight on with the APTA or you be in the background a little bit, you know, that always can help. So I think we have one more. You good? Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Do you have something else to add on that? Oh, it's just the whole, like there are successful cash-based clinics and I feel like what they do so well is they show their worth. Yep, agreed. Obviously they're successful that people are coming in paying what, these physical therapists, this company believes that they're worth. And patients also see that value because they're willing to spend that money to go see these these clinics. So I think mm-hmm. it's definitely living up to those expectations and being almost as realistic as you can with patients, I feel like helps goes a long ways to justifying the cost. But I agree, it's not cheap. Like a cash rate visit, for example, could be like $100 and going in three times a week, that's 300 for a month. You're looking at well over a grand. So yeah. it's definitely not accessible for everybody. But again, you place your money where you find that your value in it. And if these clinics are doing a great job at it, then patients are seeing the value. Yep, exactly. You remember, guys, we, we're a valued service. Value yourself. We worked hard and we learned a lot and our knowledge, you know, we just think back to some of your patients who, you know, literally are like so confused or they ask you questions about why this is important. There's a reason that, you know, we have to, people come to therapy in general. If everybody could do it, they wouldn't be there. So value your time, value your education, value your worth. We just got to get other people to see that too. So you can't believe your own value you're not you're gonna have a hard time convincing someone else of the value so um very true all right what's our last one last one is just kind of retaining those what you would consider highly valued employees so someone who's like showing going over and beyond fits really well with your clinic you find them to be extremely smart good with patients whatever you value Clinics are having a hard time holding on to those people. Reason being is, again, burnout, pay, those all can play a factor into losing them. And so the field is seeing some of those drop out and go somewhere else or move into different healthcare or even just different fields altogether. And so that is something that, you know, we are seeing is a struggle within this field, so. No, I agree. I feel like we just kind of refer back to this entire episode and you can see the the downfalls for sure. But again, I think it's just going to go back to finding a place where you're happy and content with the way treatment care is, the way that their process Mm -hmm. works. Again, gel with your coworkers. I feel like that goes a long way to make yourself happy. Like, I don't think, staying somewhere 
with the only like only one of those pieces holding mm-hmm. you there is healthy. Agreed. And that can definitely lead to losing some really great PTAs for that setting. So just make sure you're happy doing what you're doing and the setting you want to be. And yeah, I feel like everybody will be better off for it. And the funny thing, too, is I think like this is technically listed as like a an issue or a over, you know, overcoming it for our field. But in a weird way, as like a PTA, I actually feel like this is very benefit for beneficial for our field because we are starting to see companies be more flexible because we're requiring more flexibility, too. And so they are being more flexible, like, oh, it doesn't have to be a straight, you know, eight to five job. Okay, you have kids, you want to work, you know, 11 to 4. Okay, you know, we'll make that. We'd rather have you for some time versus no time, which is good for us because, again, it's whether you want to work a little bit more, you want to work a little bit less. Like, there, there's certain companies are starting to be a little bit more flexible so you can find the appropriate work-life balance for you. Again, I understand that not everybody has that flexibility, but... You know, again, if you need to work on a weekend because you have to take care of your schools during or your kids during the school week a little bit more, you know, sometimes that's an option now with companies because they they do want to keep you on and find something that works the best with you. So I do think like technically this was listed as a, you know, overcome obstacle, but I think it worked out beneficial for us. (laughs) So on that happy note. Alright, that'll wrap up our seven challenges, hardships, whatever we said at the beginning of this episode. Episode. Overcoming. Yeah, be sure to follow us on Instagram where we're the most active. Check out our YouTube channel and we will see you guys same place, same time on Friday. Yes. Alright guys, till next time. Bye.